Hi, I'm Rachel Aiello. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. This week, we're going to be joined by special guest Paul Heinbecker, a former ambassador and top diplomat, as we go over this flashpoint in Canada-China relations. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, Nick, this was a pretty big week for the Conservative Party. Aaron O'Toole went out at their policy convention and kind of laid out his vision for the party under him as leader. Uh, and he basically told party membership that they need to change in order to win. I want you to hear this and then offer your feedback on whether or not you think he met the moment. We have lost two elections in five and a half years. In that time, we've had four leaders. We must present new ideas, not make the same arguments, hoping that maybe this time more Canadians will come around to our position. Yeah, actually, he came out in his speech last Friday, and it was pretty ambitious. He talked about the party being open for business, talked about welcoming diversity, new Canadians, helping small businesses, talked about gender equality, and he also talked about the environment. It looked like he had a fairly ambitious plan uh, to try to build a new winning coalition. And uh, I think uh, if the objective was to send a signal that there's a new leader uh, with a new approach, I think he was successful on that front, but he did hit some turbulence, right? Yeah, so speaking of, um, the one kind of sticking point that's maintained headlines um, since this speech was uh, his promise to be serious on climate change. He said that they are going to have a strong policy, but I think that was almost entirely uh, immediately overshadowed by what his party membership did. So later on in the convention, they voted on a motion uh, refusing to include the words climate change is real in their policy document. Now, O'Toole seems, I would say, largely unfazed by this, but Nick, is it going to be an issue going forward that the leader and the party aren't singing from the same songbook on such a key policy? Well, I think if you're a liberal strategist, it's definitely going to be an issue. The liberals are going to probably want to hammer away at this. Um, and I think I think it is an issue because, you know, for average Canadians, not only do they want to hear from the, the leader of the Conservatives on where they stand on uh, on environmental issues, but the other thing is, is that the, the fact that the party uh, did not uh, embrace that language related to uh, climate change is uh, shows a little bit of division in the Conservative tribe and is something for him to handle. I think he's got to watch out because if, uh, if Conservatives or especially caucus members continue to fight a rearguard action uh, on, the, on the climate file, it'll mean bad news for him because it'll look like the Conservative party is divided. And, uh, and you know, the other thing is, is how about the Greens? We know the Liberals came out. The Greens? Silence, I think, from the Greens on this, which is kind of a bit of a head scratcher. Right. And so you said that the Liberals have come out. This is they almost immediately hopped on this, right? You saw uh, a number of high-profile high Liberals come out in the hours and minutes after this vote was saying, kind of uh, questioning this and, and wondering what is the Conservative Party's position. Uh, and I think this is going to be a key attack point for them going forward. Here's a bit of Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan kind of hopping on this climate change question this week. Mr. McClain, given recent developments, I, I have to ask a question because it, it's important. Everything that I'm talking about and everything that I'm doing is, is, is pertinent to the question that I'm going to ask you, which is, do you believe that climate change is real? Sorry, Mr. Minister, I think I asked you a question first. But my answer, yes, I believe climate change is real. Thank you. 
so there you can hear, he was supposed to be the one facing questions and he was actually asking questions at this committee meeting. And you've seen it from others hopping on. Obviously the climate policy for the conservatives was a weak spot in the 2019 election. So it seems that they're keen to hop on this again. Nick, do you think that going into the next election with everything else going on, COVID for example, that climate change could still have that uh, strong focus among Canadians? Rachel, am I allowed to make a prediction? Yes, and it will be an attack ad from the Liberals, right? This is this is ready-made. Uh, this is ready-made material for the Liberals to try to attack and undermine Aaron O'Toole. Uh, they'll they'll speak to the proportion of uh, of Conservative delegates that voted against, which I think was around 54% or thereabouts, and uh, and the disconnect between uh, rank-and-file Conservative members and and Aaron O'Toole. So expect an attack ad. The twist on this is that right to lifers were one of the key movements that oppose the motion. So it's a bit of a two for one for the liberals, right? They get to, to bring up the bogey person of the right to life movement within the conservative party. And then they also get to poke holes at uh, Aaron O'Toole and how much support uh, the party has for where he wants to take it on the environment. Right, so attack ads, elections. Speaking of, there's something that I've, I would say we're noticing a pattern uh, for the second week in a row, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau went to Quebec and held campaign-style, non-COVID-related announcements with Francois Legault. And I'm wondering if this is him gearing up to show that he is able and it's okay time now to do campaign-style events, election positioning, heading to Quebec, obviously a key province. Nick, what do you make of uh, the Prime Minister um, taking these visits uh, to another province at this time? Well, two things. I think the, the prime minister is signaling that uh, that the liberals are ready for a, a federal election. The other thing, and we see this a lot with incumbent governments, when they think that there might be an election, they do kind of like tour trials where they practice their touring strategy and all the logistics related to that. And, and you know, so this, this could be seen as a tune-up uh, for an election and also preparation for a potential election so that the opposition parties are basically have been unofficially served notice that the Liberals are on a quasi-war footing and ready to fight an election if a confidence vote fails uh, when the budget comes up. Yeah, a tune-up. It feels like those campaign buses just went back into the driveways, but <laughs> I guess we'll be watching this one uh, given the fact that there is now a budget date. April 19th will be when the next budget hits, and so there'll be lots of time between now and then for more uh, confidence vote posturing and election speculation. So we'll keep eyes on that for sure. Uh, so everyone stick around. We'll be right back with our guest. Joining us now is Paul Heinbecker, a former Canadian ambassador, representative to the United Nations and an advisor to Prime Minister. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So we're clearly at an inflection point in a Canada-China relationship with the trials of detained Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor going on in a shroud of secrecy in China this past week. Paul, what does this development mean for the two men, first of all, but more broadly for Canada? Well, I was going to say, I'm not sure that inflection point is the right word. I think it can get worse. Uh, and and uh, not, obviously it could get better. Um, uh, what it means for Canada is that we're, we are being introduced in, in a very rough way to a new world where the rules of the road are decided by the strongest. Uh, we've always said in Canada that we needed a foreign policy that was uh, sort of 
uh, built on the on international rules and regulations and agreements and treaties. And that has been the case uh, post-war, especially since since uh, 1945, and it's been very successful. Uh, but we're, but China is starting to play rogue. Uh, there was a, a view that the more we allowed the Chinese into the international trading system, especially, and, and the other international organizations, the more they would uh, become like us. Uh, well, it turns out that, that we were wrong. Uh, they've, they've gone their own way. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a rogue state uh, in, insofar as Canada is concerned. Yeah, and I, th in I, th I think, Rachel, it speaks to the point where how much leverage does Canada really have against a country like China? You know, we've just come off a period where, you know, we had some bumpy, uh, bumpy times with the United States and we have a longstanding positive relationship. And we realized how little leverage we had against the U.S. when the president decided to renegotiate the trade. This is just, a, China is just another example where, you know, Canadians are learning that there's only so much leverage that we have as a country onto ourselves. And uh, when it comes to China, uh, I don't want to say whether they're in the driver's seat or not, but they have a lot more leverage. Well, Nick, they... Uh... I looked it up. Uh, Population-wise, they're 36 times bigger than we are. Uh, militarily, they're 15 times bigger. Uh, and from an active military personnel point of view, they're 33 times bigger than we are. So, so Paul, is this we're why we're seeing... We're not going to win an argument with those people unless we have some friends, some big friends on our side. And so that is a perfect lead into my next question, Paul. It was So is this why we're seeing uh, Canada rely so much on the US. Of course, we've seen diplomats from many nations show up and at least try to get into the trials this week. But over the last number of years, this has been unfolding. Canada keeps pointing to China. We heard from their uh, foreign secretary this week uh, coming out and once again calling for their detentions to be lifted. So it seems that we are relying on the US. Is that an appropriate position for Canada to be in right now? I don't think it's a question of appropriateness so much as necessity. I mean, the, we, the only way we're going to get, a, get, our, get a proper response of the Chinese is if we have the backing of the United States with a, uh, and others. The, and the United States indeed sees it's, uh, you know, is putting a lot of emphasis on the importance of, of alliances and the importance of cooperation with allies. And it's mainly directed at the Chinese. So the United States itself recognizes that even though it's the world's uh, greatest superpower, uh, still, uh, that the, uh, the that without the, the support of its allies, it's not going to it's not going to have the intended effect on the Chinese. So we have to work with other people. We don't have any choice, uh, and we don't we certainly don't have the leverage, as Nick was saying. And is there more, Nick, we can do? Like, how are you hearing from Canadians that there's an appetite to go further, do more to kind of come at China in a way that Canada possibly could? Well. We have to bear in mind that we have two Canadians being held hostage and a number of other Canadians, a very large number of Canadians living in China. Uh, and we're not in a position to sort of dictate terms to the Chinese. Yeah, but I think, I think, Paul, to add to that point, I, I agree that that's 100% true. But when we ask Canadians, it's like they're, you know, they're ready to do more. You know, the, the polling suggests that Canadians are, uh, are, are open to trying to advocate for relocating the, uh, the Olympics out of China. Um, and, you know, to your point about uh, sanctions, a, a pretty strong, uh, strong majority of Canadians, uh, 
Canadians are more likely to want to do economic sanctions in conjunction with the United States, like what you were talking about, right. and solo, which is kind of an understanding of, of where we're really at. No, for sure, that's that's the case. Uh, and nobody likes to be pushed around. Nobody likes to be um, bullied. No one, everybody wants to stand up to a bully, usually until they get hit in the face. But that's what someone, that's a, that's a quote from a, a boxer. Um, the, uh, no, I, yes, Canadians are willing to do more, uh, but I don't like know whether, and, and, I, and perhaps they're willing to do more, even, even if it means that the economic relationship with China deteriorates significantly. But that will mean jobs and that will mean, uh, that'll mean income for a lot of people. So right. whether, whether Canadians are willing to pay the price of, of their aggressiveness, uh, I'm not so sure. And I think, Paul, that speaks to the heart of the trickiness and the nuance in this relationship is that from trade to telecom, our, our two countries are linked in many ways. And there are other aspects and facets of the relationship beyond what's going on with the Michaels and Meng Wanzhou. And we've seen this week that our ambassador has been recalled. Now, of course, they're saying this happened for high level special talks that were separate from the ongoing trials. But it seems like we are at an unprecedented moment. We've got Mark Arno this week coming out quite strong, or at least with new messaging, taking that economic message, as you said, taking the angle of, hey, other countries, if you want to do business, you've got to know this is the state of play. Your citizens could be arbitrarily detained. Do you think that that's an effective, and is that a significant pivot from the government? Well, I think it's a, I think it's an, it's a necessary one again. I, I think that it's, it's a very, it's, it's, it's a very uh, difficult balance that they're trying to strike between being self-respecting on the one hand and not being pushed around and, and not uh, creating a situation in which uh, makes the circumstances even worse, especially for the two Michaels. Uh, there was an opportunity, uh, you know, year, uh, a year ago or so uh, to, uh, to bring, uh, to drop this whole uh, procedure, but we missed it. Uh, and now we're, we're in a very difficult spot with, uh, where we have two Canadian citizens in the situation they're in, and we have no effective way of, of getting them out. And so you had mentioned off the top there that the relationship could get worse. What are you forecasting? I think it's going to get worse. Uh, uh, the, the, the good How? news. <laughs> How much worse could it get? Oh, it can get a lot worse. There, there are a lot of economic measures that, China, that you know, we're a lot more de dependent on the Chinese economically than they are on us. Uh, and, and while we're, we have some, some significant pawns uh, uh, on the board, we're not. Uh, we aren't in a position to to tell and dictate to the Chinese. And if they wanted, if they say, well, that that's fine. No more uh, Canadian wheat. No more Canadian uh, minerals. No more Canadian exports. No more Canadian insurance. No more of, of whatever. They can survive that kind of a contest a lot, a lot with a lot less pain than we can. We may be quite willing to fight that. I'm not saying we're not. Uh, but but we have to be ready for the for the consequences. And so, Nick, we saw uh, the steps towards some sanctions this week. Of course, this was tailored towards um, the officials involved with the genocide going on against the Uyghur Muslim population. Um, of course, that was a small scale, a handful of people and I think one corporate organization. I'm wondering if you've heard from Canadians on um, how have they responded to, A, the fact that the cabinet wasn't going to side with the rest of parliament and call this a genocide, and B, are they supportive of these kinds of um, more targeted 
measures getting at some of the other issues, human rights abuses going on in China? You know, it's, you know, it's interesting that in the polling that we did on this, it suggests that the Canadians overall support by a pretty significant margin the, the motion in the House of Commons calling it a genocide. And they oppose or are disappointed with the fact that the cabinet uh, has abstained. So we should maybe disconnect what might be good foreign policy with what makes for good politics because it doesn't make for good politics. Heimbecker would probably tell us it makes for good public policy or good foreign policy or better. But uh, what's what's clear is that uh, you know Canadians are are even open to 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 welcoming uh, you know individuals who are victims of the who are victims or part of that genocide welcoming more refugees in the same way that we welcomed Syrian refugees. So there's there's a lot of appetite for latitude. But you know the big question, as Paul put his finger on, is like what is the real economic cost if China really wants to play hardball with Canada? No one knows how big a cost that'll be. And, uh, and if that kind of gets out there in the public domain, it may, may make for a very difficult situation for the government and for Canadians. So having all of this said, Paul, I'm wondering, is there a country that is getting the China relationship right or more right that Canada could be learning lessons from or even a, a government past that had challenges with China that was able to uh, stick handle them with more grace? Well, there is a, it's a good question and I'm not sure that I know the answer. I guess I'd probably say Japan or maybe uh, South Korea, they may be uh, handling the Chinese better than, than most others are. But it's not without uh, it's not without friction. And there's been a lot of trouble between the Chinese and the Japanese. So far, the J Japanese have been you know, have enormous investments in China, and the Chinese need the Japanese technology. So far, that's you know, they've held it together. But uh, you know, from from a Canadian point of view, uh, you know. I think the fundamental reality is that, that if we could, you know, that we're living in a world which is going to be a lot less cordial to our interests. And if the, if the United States succeeds in, in providing leadership and taking the world back to a kind of rules-based system that the Chinese ultimately decide to go along with it's in their interest, uh, that's one thing. But if, if we're getting into a situation where uh, the, the Chinese and, and others are not going to play by the rules, then we are going to be pulled and willy-nilly into a closer relationship with the United States than we have been Yeah. And so I guess, I mean, we could dig into this. There's so many other aspects we could go over. But to wrap it up, I'm hoping you can kind of leave us off with a, a big takeaway. Obviously, battle lines are being drawn. Things are getting um, harder, I think. What is the path forward for Canada in, in how we advance and go forward in our relationship, trying to negotiate, communicate, or even um, coexist with China at this point? I, well, I think we need to go, get back to a government uh, situation where uh, expertise matters. Uh, we, have to, we have to be making decisions that are, that are well-founded and sensible. Uh, that's, uh, and not, uh, and not to, to operate on, on, on automatic autopilot, but, uh, for Canada itself, I think the big takeaway is that the world is changing. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be in a way that is fundamentally injurious to our interests, uh, but there's no guarantee on that, and we're going to need to have a, a lot better, uh, a lot more uh, effort put into diplomacy and relations with other countries uh, than we've done so far. Right. And so I'm assuming Dominic Barton will have to head back there sooner rather than later. But um, thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. 
and chatting about this. I really appreciate that. Um, Nick, if people want to find you, where can they uh, read your latest work? Uh, so they can go to the Nanos website, www.nanos.co to get the latest polling or follow me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K Nanos. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rach Aiello. Thanks so much to you both. You can find Trendline anywhere you get your podcasts, CTV News YouTube page or ctvnews.ca. Thanks everybody.